bring out their trophies. Teenagers like to bring their trophies. And I notice sometimes that even mother and father have trophies that they're proud of that they like to display. But had you thought that God has trophies? I have chosen a text this morning that perhaps you think I use quite often. I'm afraid that it is one of my favorites. But I want you to think of it in a message that I haven't presented before. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The day is coming when Jesus Christ wants to present his trophies to God and to the universe. In our study this morning, I want to talk with you about one of the most joyful experiences that our Lord ever had while he was on this earth. And yet, at the same time, it was the most saddest moment that he had ever experienced. One moment the people were crying, Hosanna's glory to God, the son of David. And the next moment, we find everyone weeping and we find Jesus crying aloud. Let's capture this picture. Jesus is seated on a colt. It's the first time in his life that he has decided to ride. Usually, in fact, he always chose to walk. Suddenly, as the disciples place him upon the donkey, shouts of praise and adoration reach to heaven. Why should this be? Because a man sits on a donkey. Thousands join the procession around this donkey as it goes up the hill of Olivet. Why? More thousands come out of the gates of Jerusalem to join in this great celebration. Why? Why are they shouting, Hosanna to the son of David? What's it all about? I'll tell you, the king is coming. The cry is carried from hill to hill. It spans the valleys. It's sounded in the streets of Jerusalem. The entire city is awakened and goes out to meet the coming king. And I mean thousands upon thousands. The disciples are beside themselves. This is what they've been waiting for for three years. Could it be actually happening? Jesus is going to take the throne? But can you believe it? Amid this joy, the like this world has never witnessed, suddenly Jesus begins to weep. When the throne is just within his grasp, all he has to do is go just a mile or so, and he is within the city to be crowned. It's impossible. Why? Let me cut back and show you what happened earlier in the day. It is the first day of the week. It is Sunday afternoon. The final week that will end in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus, at this time in the afternoon, is walking a stony path up Mount Olivet on his way to Jerusalem 
to attend the Passover feast. But it's a different week. He must draw attention to his coming crowning sacrifice. In just five days, his mission will be a reality. Every eye in Jerusalem must be upon the crucifixion. It must be the talk of every tongue. The prophecies that have been misinterpreted by the priests must be opened up and searched as never before. The true Messiah must be recognized and converts must be multiplied by the tens of thousands. So Jesus gives a very strange, yet a strong command. You read of it in Luke, the 19th chapter. He looked at his disciples and he said, go into that village over against you, in which as you enter, you will find a colt tied wherein, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him to me. Such a request could only mean one thing. Jesus had now decided it was time to become the king of Israel. Apparently, he was going to follow the ancient custom used by royalty down through the ages when they accepted the crown. This animal had been chosen by kings one after another. In fact, prophecy had stated that this is what the Messiah would do. And it was written 500 years before. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon the coat, the foal of an ass. The disciples, when they saw what was happening, they began to tell everyone they met, Jesus is going to take the throne. Jesus is coming. The word spread like fire throughout the city of Jerusalem. Enthusiasm was beyond description. Excitement. Although it was the time of the evening sacrifice, the temple became deserted. Meanwhile, as this procession has started, the disciples gently place the master upon the colt. No sooner is he seated than a mighty shout breaks forth of triumph. Christ is on his way now to Jerusalem. And wonder of wonder, the first time in his life he encourages it. He is happy, you can see it. He is accepting their homage. The cries of celebration echo across the plain and across the valley. Jerusalem is electrified in anticipation. Palm trees are stripped as emblems of victory. The crowds from Jerusalem are now joining the procession. The temple trumpets are calling the worship, worshipers to the evening sacrifice, but few, if any, respond. The priests are alarmed. They get together. Something has to be done quickly. The Pharisees rush from the temple. They forget the sacrifice. 
they climb out out of it, their authority has always been to suppress the people, but this time their threats are in vain. They decide finally to decide to directly talk to Christ. They say, Master, Master, rebuke thy disciples. But Jesus looks them in the face and he answers, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Never, never had there been such a triumphant procession. History records that thousands of famous conquerors returning in victory from battle have brought their trophies. Hundreds and hundreds of captives in chains to be sacrificed, to be blinded, to be tortured, to be killed, to celebrate their pagan joy. But take a closer look with me at this procession. The Savior in working with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gone out and by the hundreds, the trophies of Jesus have gathered to meet him as he rides the donkey. There are those of his captives who are now free. They are praising God for their deliverance. Nothing has ever been seen like this before. There are those there who were blind, who had to be led by the hand. Now they are leading the way of this mighty procession. And there are those who were dumb. They could never say a word, but they are trophies. Their tongues have been loosed, and they are mingling here and there, praising and shouting Hosanna. And there are in this group of trophies those who were cripples who could never walk. Some who had to be carried on beds, and now they are running here and there, bounding here and there among the crowd, praising God. They are the ones that are climbing the trees and tearing off the palm branches, waving them in victory. And there are little children, those who had been dying of fever, those who Jesus said, come unto me. And now they are running in around the crowd. They are filled with excitement, and they too are praising God for the health that they have. And in this crowd of trophies are those who had been captives of Satan, maniacs, devil-possessed. Now their minds are clear. They are going to this one and to that one, telling how they have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And there are widows, and there are orphans, and there are the homeless, all telling the exciting works of mercy for them. And also in this crowd of trophies are those who were deplorable lepers. Those who had to cry, unclean, unclean, and everybody fled. But now, they are mingling with the crowd. They are showing the people where the fingers have grown out. They are showing the people their great sores that are healed. They are praising God, being saved from a living death. They are spreading their garments to walk upon them. 
but more than this are in this group. There are trophies here who had heard the call, the life giver. There are in that group those who have been raised from the dead. But take a closer look with me. Look who is leading the donkey. It is Lazarus himself. Lazarus, who had been in the grave for three days, who had seen corruption, and now he is restored in youthful manhood, leading the donkey up the trail. These were Jesus' trophies as he reached the crest of the hill. As they go over the top, Jerusalem looms in the foreground as they descend. What a sight. Peaceful in all her glory, bathed in the light of a descending sun. Her gilded temple towers high above the city, the golden dome pointing toward heaven. This is the pride of the Jewish nation, unquestioned in its magnificence, embellished in costly decorations. Even now, as you look from Mount Olivet, you can see that golden vine winding its ray around those enormous pillars as it had been thus decorated. It is a never-to-be-forgotten scene. Amid all the shouts of Hosanna, of all the glory to God, the king is coming. But suddenly it changes. Look with me. Jesus is seated on the donkey, but he is weeping. His eyes are filled and clouded with tears and sorrow. His body is rocking to and fro like a tree in a tempest. Wails of anguish burst from his quivering lips. His very heart is breaking. Even the angels of God marvel their commander in tears. All the acclamation sees a strange phenomenon takes place. Instead of crying, Hosanna to God in the highest, everyone begins to weep. Israel's king to be in tears? Jesus is crying with unsuppressed agony. It's incomprehensible. Why? What's the meaning of all this? Could it be that just as he went over the top, he sees Gethsemane to the left? And there, he knows that in just three days, God is going to separate himself from his son. So terrible will be the experience that his heart will be crushed and he will fall dying to the ground. No. This is not for what he weeps. Could it be that right straight ahead he looks and there he sees the sheep gate? For thousands of years, the animals have gone through this gate to be sacrificed. And he knows that before the week is over, the mob will lead him through that very gate as the Lamb of God to be slain for the sins of the world. But for this, he does not weep. Could it be that he looks just a little to the right and he sees Calvary's hill where he will climax in that terrible death of crucifixion 
with blood running down his back and from his head and from his hands and from his feet in excruciating pain. No, he is not intimidated by physical pain. For this, he does not weep. Wonder of wonders, Jesus is in tears over Jerusalem. No, not the exotic city, but the people within that city, the mothers, the fathers, the little ones, the children. This is what has pierced his heart with anguish. For these have refused to accept him. Her people are about to take his life, and he sees the results of their rejecting their Redeemer. He beholds the city that might have been, but she has rejected her only hope. How? How can he give her up? He has come to save her, and he raises his hands in calling to God for the doomed city. Today is Jerusalem's last chance. In broken, unsuppressed wails, he cries in agony, Oh, if thou hadst known, even thou, in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace. He pauses. He's too choked to continue. He leaves unsaid what might have been that Jerusalem could have been the queen of the earth. She could have been free from those Roman soldiers. She could have been the earth's mightiest metropolitan, the world's diadem of glory. But Christ sees the future. In tears he continues, but now they are hid from thy sight. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side and they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus sees the total picture. He sees Jerusalem surrounded by armies. He sees Jerusalem besieged, its people driven to starvation and to death. He beholds mothers killing their children and eating their flesh. He sees the very hills around which he is now seated on that beast, covered with 100,000 crucifixes. He hears the moans of the people as they are crucified in a most terrible death. He beholds the temple burned, burned to the ground, not one stone left upon another and even the ground upon which the temple stands plowed like a field. Why? Because Jerusalem has been rejected of God forever. He hears the people cry, His blood be upon us and our children. As Jesus beheld this coming destruction, he cries aloud again, Oh, oh, how, how can I give thee up? It is for this that he weeps. Why? For he knows that just one soul 
within its walls is of more value than many worlds in the universe. But here is not just one soul. It is a whole city. It is a whole nation to be lost. He continues to look upon Jerusalem. He beholds at that very moment, we are told by inspiration, in Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 2, 394, he sees the angel of mercy folding her wings to step down from the golden throne and give place to justice and swift coming judgment. But the loving Jesus continues to plead, if only, if only she would repent. Her day of mercy is almost over. Think of it as I continue reading. The blood of beasts had flowed, typical of the blood of Christ. There Jehovah had manifested her glory above the mercy seat. There the priests had officiated in flowing robes and jeweled breastplates, and pomp of symbols and ceremonies had gone on for ages. But all this must now come to an end, for Jerusalem has sealed her doom, and her destruction is at hand. For this, for this, Jesus weeps. May I remind you that this was also a preview of the second coming of Jesus and the terrible destruction coming upon this in earth inhabitants. Again, I read in Spirit of Prophecy, volume 3, page 9, the triumphal ride of Christ into Jerusalem. Just prior to his crucifixion, was the dim foreshadowing of his coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory amid the triumph of angels and the rejoicing saints as he brings his trophies to God. Listen as I continue. The tears of Christ as he wept over Jerusalem were for the sins of all ages. The Jewish nation was a symbol of the people of all ages who scorned the pleading of infinite love. Those who professed to be their representatives, shall I read it? Those who professed to be the representatives of Christ on earth, yet whose lives are a continual denial of him, may read their own condemnation in Christ's denunciation of the self-righteous Jews. For this, he weeps. I ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ reaping, weeping over any of you in this audience? Does he see where you are going? Please, I know that I'm going to be quite personal. Is there some inspired counsel that you are rejecting? Does your life in any way deny him? Are you hankering after the things of the world? Honestly. Are you slighting probationary time? Indifferent to the Holy Spirit's pleading? 
clinging to the world, perhaps some unholy passion, some unsanctified thoughts? Are you holding back because you know it involves a crown? Is there anyone here this morning that could possibly be doubting some portion of God's word? Is there anyone here this morning determined to exercise your own independent judgment? I don't know about you, but as I studied this tragedy, I beheld love being shed in heaven today with tears over many within his church. Because there are those who are refusing his love, they hesitate to change their ways. They are worshiping at the shrine of idolatry. What do I mean? Of fashion, of pleasure. There are those today who are spending more time before the tube than you are in getting ready to meet Jesus. Again, let me read volume 313. As Christ overlooked the world and all ages from the height of Olivet, his words are applicable to every individual who slights the pleading of his divine mercy. And then she writes so personally, O scorner of his love, he addresses you today. It is thou, even thou, who shouldest know the things which belong to thy peace. You see, today prophecy is being repeated. Listen, I'm reading volume 3, page 14. When the priests and rulers heard the prophetic voice of the past sounded in trumpet tones by the multitude in answer to the question, who is this? They, the priests, questioned if this were the Messiah. Even the multitude were telling the priests as they tried to hush them. They said, don't you know what the scripture teaches? And even the disciples quoted the scripture to the priests, and they would have none of it. Why? I'll tell you why. I'll never forget hearing Elder Gilbert some years ago, who was in charge of the Jewish work of this denomination, and if anyone knew the Jews, he was a Jew himself, having been converted. He knew all about them. It was his life study. And he told from the pulpit that day how the priest took every promising young priest in his day and sent them to the pagan theological schools down in Athens so that they could come back and be called doctors in the church. And it was because they had become so wise in their own eyes. They thought they knew more than the scriptures. Could this be what is happening today to this denomination? Is prophecy being fulfilled again? I read on 
page 14, the long list of ancient authorities pointed forward to Jesus the Messiah, which was quoted by the disciples, but brought no reproof to their hearts. What were they telling these priests? They said, listen, don't you know what Moses wrote? He prophesied, it is the seed of the woman. He shall bruise the serpent's head. And they spoke to these priests of Abraham, their father. He is Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace. They spoke about Jacob. Did not he say he is Shiloh? They read from Jeremiah when he said, Jesus is the branch of David, the Lord our righteousness. They quoted John Daniel when he said he is the Messiah. They even quoted the words which they themselves had heard at the Jordan when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, he is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And then of all things, they quoted the very words of Jehovah which they themselves had heard from heaven when Jesus had said this, when God had said, this is my beloved Son. And yet, these leaders of Israel being so wise in their own study, could not conceive the truth of the word of God. Yes, as we look at these disciples today, we can read of Matthew, in which he said, I will come again. And of Mark, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is near, even at the door. Of Luke, ye shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And of the beloved John, this is life eternal, that thou mayest know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And the most striking of all, the Apostle Paul, as Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, so unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When Jesus Christ comes, he is coming for those whom he finds, few there be, that are without sin, for they have become overcomers. Are we without sin yet? I could spend hours reading to you from these red books how Jesus Christ overcame every temptation because he reached out and received of God the divine power that made it possible for him to have victory over every besetment. And he offers the same power to you and to me. If we will but accept it, if we will plead for it, ask and ye shall receive, he will give us the same power that we too can overcome every evil tendency in this world. 
and be ready. For did he not promise to him that overcometh in Revelation 3.21 will I grant to sit with me on my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. Why is it we are not hearing of this power in our pulpits today? We should be electrified with it. Is there anything that God cannot accomplish? Why is it that our books are not preaching the wonderful power of God, telling us that there can be victory, but rather today we are being schooled in the theological schools of the world. We are being told that we must have excitement, that we must have drama. We are being given Babylonian music and celebration and nothing but emotionalism and false interpretations of Scripture so that we become, as a people like the world, feeling it is only necessary to only believe, not to worry about obedience. Ah, that is legalism, that Jesus Christ kept the law for us and that we are no longer under the law because we are saved by grace. Partially true, but they do not tell us the conditions. Therefore, you can sin till Jesus comes. But he says, I'm coming to those who are without sin, who have been sealed and who are ready to meet Jesus. I ask you, are you getting ready today? As a servant of the Lord, I just can't help but feel that time is so short and that every message given today ought to be of encouragement to our people to reach out and take the power of God and to be ready. His coming is so soon. I feel like Jesus. Oh, why? Oh, why will you perish? Is Jesus weeping over any of you? Seek ye the Lord, we are told in Isaiah 55, while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy unto him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. In the name of Jesus this morning, I plead with you. Why don't you determine to be a trophy for God? Why don't you determine to receive of his power and like those people on Mount Olivet, tell everyone of the power that God has given you in victories of your life? Are you covered? Any of you here this morning with the leprosy of sin? Today, if you are willing, he can change you like he did those trophies back there. He can wash you and cleanse you and he will place his own garments of righteousness upon you that you can be a trophy pure and spotless to accompany Jesus when he goes back to heaven. 
Have you been enamored lately with this new theology, drinking of the wine of Babylon, becoming intoxicated, to believe that religion is excitement and that you have freedom to do as you please? Jesus wants to make you a trophy this morning. He wants to give you divine power, power over sin. Are you crippled today with any bad habit? Listen, friend, this God is so mighty. His power is so strong that he can give you victory if it's liquor. You can have it this moment. Is it tobacco? You can have it before you go out this door. Is it drugs? Is it some evil passion? There is nothing impossible with my God. Nothing. You can be changed. You can be surrounded with heavenly angels. You can be in that great procession soon that will go from this earth to the new Jerusalem. And you can shout and triumph in the wonderful Jesus Christ who makes it possible. Is there anyone here this morning unable to share your faith? Oh, you just feel that your tongue is tied. Could it be that you have nothing to talk about? That you have never experienced personal victory? I want to tell you, in Jesus Christ, you can become a trophy so that you can go down from door to door in this community and tell everyone of the glorious things that God has done for you. He's looking for trophies today. Laymen, who will arise and finish this work and preach this everlasting gospel that people will be ready to meet him. Is there one here just now who has been so filled with sin, so contaminated, that you are spiritually dead, that you need to hear his wake-up call? You may be so dead in sins this morning, but like Lazarus, if you will just listen, he will call to you and you can come forth and he will change you immediately into a new life, a life for Jesus Christ. You too can be a trophy so near to Jesus that as Lazarus led that donkey to Jerusalem of old, you can lead the 144,000 in praises of adoration as you lead Jesus to the new Jerusalem. I want to tell you he's coming soon. Are you ready for this procession? Can God this morning claim you as a trophy now? today unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Don't you want to be a trophy for God this morning? I do. I just can't help but close this meeting this morning. I've been impressed that there is someone here this morning that wants to come to Jesus and be a part of his remnant church. Is there such a one? Maybe you're just a child. 
teenager, maybe you're an older person, would you come up this morning and let me give you the right hand of fellowship into this church as I open the door? Would you come before we have our prayer? Is there one determined to be a trophy for God? Lord bless you. Is there anyone else that would like to come this morning in such a dedication? Never been a part of this church, but you know that this is the truth. And you want to come this morning and be a part of the kingdom. Is there one other? As God looks down upon us today, he loves us. He wants to help us. He calls, come unto me. How can I give you up? Is there one? One more. Lord bless you. Are there those here in the congregation this morning that would like to stand and say, God, I want to be a trophy this morning for Jesus? Will you stand? Heavenly Father, in the quietness of this sanctuary, Lord, we just pray today that as we have stood before thee and these two young people, Lord, who have rededicated their lives to thee this morning. Oh, would to God that we had hearts that were youthful to be touched by thee. Lord, we just pray today that thou will bless us. We have so many shortcomings. We are hearing so many rumblings today, so many winds of doctrine. God, help us to be faithful to this church. Help us determine never, never to leave it, to be strong in the truth and courageous. God, so touch our lives that we will be able to shout glory hallelujah as we see the transformation that has taken place through thy power in our lives. Give us victory, God, this week as we prepare for heaven. For we ask it in Jesus' name.